Hi, everyone. It's uh, Roxanne. Thanks yet again for uh, tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne. So today I have a special guest. Her name is Lynn Sherry. Hi, Lynn. How are you today? Hello. How are you? Good, good. So Lynn um, is a author uh, and um, of a two-book series. She's just uh, put out the first one with a bit of a updated um, version of it uh, just recently out into the market. So Lynn's, um, Lynn has a very, very in- interesting background and something that I've always been fascinated in. Um, and uh, I'll read a little bit about Lynn's background. She's a band member of Six Nations of the Grand River Territory with bloodlines to the Alderville First Nations and Mississauga of the New Credits. Being an explorer, teacher, and helper by nature, she finds expression and the opportunity to offer the healing properties of traditional knowledge through her work as a writer, poet, and workshop facilitator. What form, whatever form her art takes, it is the seeking spirit and a deep reference, reference for nature that are the ever-present entities. That sounds lovely. <laughs> is there anything that I missed that you think um, you should share with the listeners? Um, when we speak of a deep reverence for nature, that's just something basically I was born with. And, and it's evident. I think it's evident. It's more than just in my upbringing. I think it's in our blood as well because I have four siblings and we're all the same way in that regard. We will, it's, I'll call it my church for lack of a better word. It's just where I have always repowered or healed. And just about anything I've ever written has some, has nature or our organic world as, as the backdrop or threaded throughout it. Um, a whole lot of work that's never been published has been has been has had its birthplace from being in outside i'll call it outside okay so which which really speaks to a lot when we talk about getting reconnected on the western world right but yes these traditions that you're talking about are i mean centuries old so i i would like you to tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, what, what put you on this path. Um, it sounds like you've been exposed from birth to tradition, which yes. has kind of informed what you do today. And also this, this brilliant book, um, which is called Where Mary Went, which I would love to get into. But first of all, just tell us a little bit about you and uh, your path, a bit about your upbringing, and um, kind of bring us up to speed about you the um the artist the poet and the helper today okay i'll do this it's um i'm the oldest of five children um and so i like to capture what you said about being exposed to tradition from earth from birth it's i have to say that not out loud however organically it's all a part of how you're brought up it's we our values are what our values are because, and, and nobody said to me, oh, you're native, so you do this, or we natives, because really, basically, my father was cut off, and my mother was completely cut off from it, had no knowledge of it whatsoever, but my father was, he was raised with, um, within a native sort of like environment, both his parents were native, but nobody ever talked about it. Nobody ever said, 
uh, or even spoke native words, though they were still in our upbringing. Nobody said that's a native word. There were so many words that we were, um, so many words in our household that nobody knew they were actually native till I went out and pursued a formal knowledge of our language and our traditions. I spent probably 30 years with my grandmother as my mentor and best friend. I got 30 years on this earth with her. And even she, she would say, oh, Lenny, that's like, this, you know, maybe, you know, the Indian way. But really, that's about it. Nobody really, I never got the benefit of an old grandfather wise teaching type thing that you listen to, the, you know, the, the sort of typical way of presenting it. But yet it was there, it was everywhere. It was when we went camping, when we were being taught a lesson. It was all in there, but not identified as, oh, that's what we do as Mohawk people. Or, oh, that's what we do as Anishinaabek people, because I have the same, both in me. Um, so then when I decided to purposefully seek it, there it was. And I'm, oh my God, that's, and I began to bring my siblings into it. We met somebody, our family met somebody that sort of got us out of the closet. And I really love using that term because all along throughout a first marriage, I never even mentioned being native to my children. But yet when I grieved, I, I did, I went off by myself and did but like what would have been blood memory things um, to heal myself, even though nobody told me, even though nobody, nobody formally said, Oh, you smudge or you do this. I always had this knowledge because it was, I suppose in my blood, but also in my family without being identified. Does that make sense to you? No, I, I'm curious because I think I know what you mean by the, the term blood memory, but I'm going to ask you what you mean. And Two things I want to ask you about. First of all, I want you to go back to, you said both my mom and dad were cut off. So I'd like to understand what that, what that means. Okay. And that your grandma became your mentor. And mm-hmm. you said like when you grieved, you go off and you have blood memories. So those are a couple of things that I'm, I'm wanting okay. to know more. So I'm going to assume uh, the listeners might want to know more too. So bl- first to explain what blood memory is. It's a term, it actually crosses into both worlds, Western world and um, Native world. Blood memory is you just remember something because you don't know why. It didn't really happen to you in life. It happened to your ancestors. Um, You may have a problem in life with grief or anxiety or unexplained sense of abandonment or anger And it might have actually happened to your mother or your father or your grandparents. So that's pretty easy to imagine that impact in Mm -hmm. the world or any any race that's been really um, abused or or oppressed. But now let's talk about Western world. They are now discovering that um, memories are passed down through DNA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They had to wait for science to prove it. Right. But it is exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's just not, it's just something, uh, an oral teaching that got passed down through the ages. And that term it got passed down. It's like, oh, you know, maybe something happened to your grandparents and that's why you're like that. And you are going to continue the healing. Or you may remember somebody and have a strong feeling for them. That's blood memory. Okay. Okay. Probably what we think of um, 
in scientific terms today about, I'm sure you've heard about epigenetics, where they talk, epigenetics is, um, is a, a part of science that's talking about being able to pass your DNA on right. through the lineage. But in fact, what they're finding is, which makes sense with um, a lot of the, the developments in neuroscience, that in fact, you can then change it based yeah. on the things that you, you can be done, which we know, of course, with you probably being trauma-informed, um, you know, with the exposure that you've had, that the work that you do in the present, you can actually um, change the lineage or the, you know, blood memory for the next generation. So it sounds like, again, this is something yes. uh, that has been known by the Native tradition for a long time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I like that. Wow. Yes. And then I'll, you asked me about my parents uh, being cut off. Well, my father was definitely, he, he actually, um, a lot of my own family history is threaded into that book, but it's also just about anybody else's family history because it's common history. Just about most of the First Nations people that um, are from around this area in Niagara, Brantford, all of them, their, their parents and grandparents and aunties and uncles went to the uh, Mohawk Institute. They, they would have been, I, you would be hard pressed to find a family that hasn't been impacted by the Mohawk Indian Institute or the Mushhawk. So the, in this case, Mary gets put in there. She's in there till she's um, grown up. She grows up in there. And um, so her children, she loses her language. She loses her traditions. She's also, uh, if, if she remembers them at all, she wouldn't speak of them because they're dirty and shameful. Um, and if she wants to make it in the world, if she wants to make it at all, she can't walk like that. She's got to walk like a person in mainstream. So uh, that's in my family, just like it's in just about any family around here. So I'll speak personally about my father. He, you would never mistake him for not being a native person in either his demeanor or his look or, or, or the way he talks, but yet he wouldn't, he really would never teach it. He would never really pass it on. And I think some of it is because he doesn't want you to suffer the way he suffered. And I know I did that with my children. And as far as my mother goes, my mother's, um, Great would be her great grandmother. Her would be not her mother would be her grandmother was native, but married a um, a European culture. I won't say you know I think it's French and Scottish, but that was it. You stopped being an Indian. You just and I I can say Indian. We can say Indian amongst each other. It's not really improper. Or you stop being native. You don't speak your language. You don't raise my kids like that. And so it really got, I'll call that mission accomplished, mm-hmm. really got filtered out through the generations. And, and I will go back to blood memory because my mother does not look native. Um, yet I probably got more teachings from her verbally, purposefully than my father. And that mm-hmm. would be blood memory because she was definitely not brought up that way. That would have been, she's the one who really purposefully taught me about the medicines and the herbs and the ethics. And yet she would never identify herself as native. So, um, so then it gets cut off with us, us five. 
but it took one of us to start to seek it in our community. So in our community, the healing comes because everybody's at different rates of trying to seek it. And currently that's where we are. That brings us to today, where currently we're sharing our arts and knowledge and believe me, it's clumsy and messy and bloody because as unhealed and healed people are when they're together. I hope I'm not offending anybody. I, I'm a social worker too. And I think that um, like myself, I'm a social worker along with being a writer. And it's just not always pretty when everybody is on a healing path, but it's also very, very beautiful as it moves along. Does that make sense to you? Oh, absolutely. So what you're saying is that, of course, like, I mean, the Native peoples have been through unspeakable things. Like, I mean, in my my tenure as a therapist, I have, you know, I used to go to the 40 Native Center. I think I mentioned that to you, um, yeah. you know, and, you know, just uh, recently speaking at a big uh, event uh, for school counselors that, go, that are of Native background to go into the schools and then, you know, just hearing the, the things that people have been go, gone through. Like, I mean, I, I'm a, I've had a specialty in trauma for a lot of years. But then when you hear the levels and the levels of, um, you know, of, I'm going to, you know, the generational um, levels that kept happening over and over again. Is it any wonder that people wanted to, to walk away from things? Yes. As of the pain, like, you know, naturally as human beings, as you know, as a social worker and me as a psychotherapist, people don't want to feel pain. No. But when it's an entire, you know, um, nation, I'm going to say, or people that are trying to be, you know, that are basically been obliterated or tried to be obliterated. Yes. And we, we see the impact. So it's, it's, it's so nice to hear that now, um, as you go out into the, you know, the different parts of the community that people are embracing things and recognizing it and wanting to heal. What do you yeah. think has made the change or the shift that people started to, you know, um, want to understand and connect again? I can answer that question so quickly and with a lot of heart. It's the will to survive. We as a people have such a strong will to survive and it shows up in our stories, and which is why I wrote one of the main reasons I wrote Mary, where Mary went in the format that I did. Because when you listen to old people tell their stories and, and uh, anybody who's been traumatized by residential school, which is almost anybody um, who is Native, you know, they, they focus and rightly so on the pain and the trauma and the grief and the abandonment and the fear. I have that. Of course, that's in my book, too. but. I had a relationship, the women in my family are fierce, like, like not fierce, um, um, aggressive fierce, but fierce survivors. And that comes directly from my DNA that my, um, the person I spent the most time with is just would not accept the place we were put in trying that people, society was trying to put us in. And I refused to accept the place. And now I don't really have to now. So much progress has been made by my generation and the next generation is, pro, is um, benefiting and taking further through higher education. But um, my parents and my grandparents survived and that was enough. We're here and we sur I, I really think it's a sense of survival that, and a, a sense of community, which is what was attacked 
more than anything was our sense of community. If you ask anybody what they value most and they can't have anything else, you think it's their wedding ring or their jewels, or I know you know better, um, it's, or their, their fancy house, it's their family. So if you take somebody's family away from them, and I can choke up over this because I know it's the truth. If you take their family away from them, you can do almost, you can make them into what you want. More or less, you'll probably screw them up more than anything. But some of us, you know, went along and played our part and bought property and worked in the mainstream world, which is what my father did and what I did. But that blood memory never stopped digging at me, even through a marriage to a non-native person, even through in-laws that old in-laws that were um, made things harder. And, you know, you, I still kept it alive inside. Mm-hmm. Just like, probably, like my grandparents and my parents did. I kept something alive, alive so that when I could, I could bring it out. And I bring it out through my art. I bring it out through my writing and my poetry. And, and my, my fellow community members are bringing it out through what they do. How, what their medicine is. We call it our medicine. So my writing is my medicine for the world. And what, a ni- what a nice way to put it, my medicine for the world. So you're a band member of Six Nations. And so tell me, like, what I hear is pure strength, right? Because my, you know, my, my brand is connection and the importance, the vitalness of the better connected we are to ourselves is the best inoculation you can give yourself yes. in the world, within yourself. Um, it's almost like, I, I always call it, it's like concentric uh, circles of intimacy around you, right? Yes. So I, I connect to who I am truly. Yes, and I, I like, you know, um, having my background and my book, I talk a little bit about some of the trauma that I went through. Um, oh, yes. You know, I'm seeing through violence as a child and how that kind of informed me, but culturally even, coming from the Caribbean, there is this normative element around infidelity and violence that kind of got yes. accepted and kind of permeated. And I said, no, 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 not me. <laughs> no. Um, and then spoke a little bit about some of the replication or the reenactment that I did in my um, long-term um, significant relationship and kind of how it hits you in the head. Yes. You know, it, it hits you in the head and it says, okay, you're not listening to me, so you're going to kind of start to wake up. So it's interesting when I hear the strength, regardless, that you, you picked up from your mom that never spoke of it. From your grandma, it sounds like it came more directly. More directly. Well, my father, all three of them, but the women in my family are very strong. Sorry, I just interrupted Yeah, you. no, 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 that's amazing. So... Um, it's interesting, right? Like kind of you're going through your life and you're, like you said, you're doing your thing and then you get these, I, I call them guideposts that kind of redirects your back. It may not seem like the best thing at the time, but then you look back and you think, well, what? I keep hitting the same guidepost that's trying to get me to go left, but I keep going right. Yes. Would you say that some of your path or some of the um, First Nations path, that's what's happened to the present generation that makes them want to kind of relish, I'm going to say, and stand up and say, this is who we are. This is what we're about. These are our traditions. This is inherent in me. 
Well, they just have a better self-esteem than we had. We had to drag ours up out of the ground. We had to, nobody was telling us, geez, you're doing great. You know, in a normal family, I'm in a household right now where it's a non-native family and it's a, a I wouldn't call it a traditional European culture, but families been remained intact throughout the generations. And I see things, my eyes just widen because I have no problem with journeying somewhere else for my lessons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they encourage each other in the smallest of ways that we didn't get because we were denied it. I have no idea what it's like to be in a traditional Native family, and most of us don't. Um, but um, in our family, it was more like they were afraid we wouldn't survive. And these were people that had been traumatized. So basically, you uh, weatherproof them through methods that really make you afraid to be out there in the world. Um, so, you know, someone who's been traumatized uh, basically may try to weatherproof the next generation by, you know, oh, well, you'll learn, put your mitts on type thing. I'm using a very mild example, but could it get quite worse than that? Um, but the next generation was just treated better. They were just treated better overall. I'm not saying all of them. We still have a lot of youth who are highly represented in correctional institutes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they are still get, have much better exposure to treatment than we had. We just drank ourselves or whatever we did, right? Whatever, if those of us that fell down and never got back up again, that's what happened. So my children, I have three children, my two girls, well, my son is a, uh, was also educated in the Native community uh, through Aborig Aboriginal um, nursing. But my two girls, they continue. Their life's work is um, adding to the medicine. And because all my kids are sort of artsy, their, their medicine is, is in that like artistic and language and culture. Um, but my, some of my other peers in the community their kids are getting university education and teaching and dealing with the politics and the treaties and we're gaining political power through education and through unity. Wow. And that's that's what the, like we did the grunt work, like generations before us, they just had to survive. Right. Right. They just had to survive it. And, and then my generation we had to pull our, it almost disappeared with my generation. It almost did not come back. And so we suffered. We did, we went through all of the social ills and then we just did a better job with our kids overall, I'm going to say. And I'm not trying to say that we are by any means at the end of our journey. That's amazing, right? Because it's oftentimes, you know, I often say when I see trauma clients, um, it's hard to get back up sometimes if you're going to get knocked back down. Right. So it takes that strength yeah. to be able to, like you said, to, to change the story, to recognize what was taken away, how to, how to listen to intuitively what's in you. Like you said, you go out, we talk about getting kids out in, in nature and things like that. But, but what I hear clearly, it's, it's even, it's so much more in the native traditions. Yes. Uh, it is embedded into it. It's embedded. So tell me a little bit about that because um, and I, then I want to talk a little bit about the actual book so you can kind of give the listeners um, a sense of why they should all go out and get where Mary went, um, you know, and where they can get it. But tell me a little bit about the element. Of, and I like I like um, 
I like that word of medicine. Mm-hmm. I've never heard it used in that context, right? Um, but how does nature from the native tradition frame that for someone that's non-native and help, help me understand in my, you know, humble understandings, what nature is in native tradition. I can give you an example. Now I've worked in mainstream my whole life. That's how I pay my mortgage, how I raise my kids. Um, I believe we all have medicine. It's not a unique thing. Medicine is just a word that we use as natives, native people. So, uh, other cultures might call it your purpose um what you're here to offer the world in a mutual healing you know just different philosophies and world uh views um so i'm going to take it down to i work um in a um social work um uh environment i always have uh i i hear a lot of stories and i um i can't even i don't think i have to explain it to you but for the listeners um, people who are at the, just the dregs of their life. They're on the sidewalk. They're one second from being on the sidewalk or they're, you know, it's a, it's a financial need, but the financial need was a, is a symptom of, of something else, of something that's wrong with them. They come in, they cry, they laugh, they lie, they, they tell stories, they, whatever. I love my experience with that job. So here has how nature and medicine go together. I like rocks and almost everybody likes rocks, stones, rocks, because there's something about it in you that knows there's, there's just something about rocks. So, and I'm using something small like this for, for on purpose. So I always have rocks on my desk, um, different rocks I've liked and picked up and they're always on my desk. And it started one day. I just have them there. Um, one day years ago, this young man comes in and he's just a mess, just a non-native man, uh, just a mess. And he would be one of thousands I've met in the same circumstance. But he's sitting there and he is just chest belly sobbing and can't focus. And um, I'm no psychologist, but I do know how to reach in with people and comfort them. I can reach right in and I can... And I have no words for what it is I can do. I can know I can do it just because I've done it so often. And so he's sobbing and crying. And, and I said, here, and here, take this rock. Well, you want this rock? I just said to him as if you would give somebody something to get them to stop crying. He instantly stopped crying. He's looking at the rock. He says he loves the rock. And now this might sound funny to you. And it is, I have a smirk on my voice because I, in my profession, I try to stay on the surface of it and not like get in all the time, you know? And um, so he's looking at it and he says, can I keep this rock? And I said, you can keep that rock. And he held on that rock and he got focus. Now, back then, I didn't even know something that I was actually formally taught later. Um, a rock, many people... There's a grief teaching, a rock grief teach as, as it pertains to grief. When you just cannot process your grief, you should go look for a rock. Just, just go looking for it. Pick it up, a rock that appeals to you. You, For us Native people, you offer it a little gratitude. For us Native people, be in the form of tobacco. But you offer it a little, you ask it, you know, would it help you? Would it take your grief? And then you just keep that rock 
handy in your pocket. I don't know how big it is by your bedside. You can paint that rock. You can dress that rock. You can just hold on to that rock. That's That rock is going to keep you company through this grief. And a rock is an old thing. It's very dense. It pulls energy into it. There's probably some science to that too, but this is you know, it can hold your grief what you cannot hold because we're not as dense and we're more organic and we need it to go through us, not stay in us. So a rock can hold that. So that makes sense to people. Um, but I didn't know it when I gave it to the boy. And so when you're done, when you feel like you can let your grief go now, it's all in this rock, offer the rock a little tobacco or gratitude. Bring it to the water and throw it into the water because the water is stronger than the rock and the water can, can cleanse the rock of, its, of the grief that you've put in it. And now your grief is not in your body anymore. So I did not know that teaching. I was taught that by an elder later on in life. And since, so since then, I have very consciously given that teaching to hundreds of people who come into my office. It may or may not be cool to give native teachings. I don't, I dress it. I don't say, oh, this is an old Indian, you should, whatever. I, I, I be a very adept at, um, I'm very adept at, at tailoring it to who the listener is, if that makes sense to you. But right. people do it. It resonates. And why? Because it's in you and you know it's a truth. Well, what, what, a, what a beautiful thing, right? You're putting, I mean, I can do the Western scientific part to it, but symbolically, whatever it, you're saying is, it's taking it within nature, working with nature, yes. carrying with you the assumption is that uh, the, your emotions absorb into the rock, which probably, you know what, who knows? And then you put it, you let it go, and, and it gets taken off wherever it needs to, because really, what, that's what grief is. Grief is, you know, honoring it, bearing it, and letting it go. Yes. So really, I'm, I'm sure, and like I said, I have had little, I've been, um, I've had little exposure, but I've had some because I've gone up um, to, a, to a sweat lodge at the uh, Six Nations. I've been invited a couple times, and nice. I don't even know what to experience to explain to anybody that has not been, and I probably, my experience, I don't know that what it was supposed to be, but I just remember like crying and crying yes, yes. um you know nobody talked to any you know you just and it was just it, it was an experience that it's it's hard and I felt privileged that I was invited not knowing a lot of things so just because of one of the social workers that I met that was associated with um she's one of the elders at uh six nations and I was just I felt I didn't even know what I was feeling other than I knew I was feeling a lot and whatever I was purging I was purging major but I didn't know what I was purging yeah perfect other than I was you know just couldn't stop just couldn't stop releasing whatever you know was happening and um it was it was an amazing amazing experience so the tradition sound uh how old is it like a lot of these these teachings like that you would have been exposed to in your path? Well, they're, they're, they're passed down orally. Now we write them down because now we can, but they were passed down orally. And um, Sweat Lodge, Carrie, I, I, that experience you just described, you taught me a lot by telling me a story, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You taught me a lot about you, 
sweat lodge who gave me a lot of things that would cause me to go out and ask other questions if I had never been exposed to sweat lodge. This is what I try to do in my book. And I actually have a sweat lodge scene. Mm, in my book. Okay. Okay. So if you ever read the book, you're going to see yourself. I, I am going to read the book because now I'm, I'm intrigued because, you know, like, again, like I said, I've had exposure as a, as a therapist I've done speaking, I've done training, I've gone, you know, and, and felt humbled. Um, and I had an experience um, where there was a concern and I, and I asked the elder to, she wanted to help me with it. She yes. prayed with the elders, told me exactly what it was and said prayers. And I don't even know how that works. You probably can help me more. They prayed on it, found what happened and then gave a solution and it changed. Yes. And I'm like, okay, what happened here? The logical brain just kicked in, right? Um, and she said, we know exactly what happened. It was just a concern that was happening in my family. Yes. And um, she said, we have said a prayers, me and the elders, do not worry about anything. And I'm going to tell you. Yes. After they did that, that's why I, I'm intrigued and I'd love to get together to, with you to talk more because I'm very, very, I would love to learn more. Um, the concern shifted completely. Yes. Yes. And now can we just crystallize that moment for a second? And you said these beautiful old, how old are these teachings? I would not be doing right by my ancestors if I did not mention the fact that we almost didn't get them because there was a long time that sweat lodge was illegal and like right up to the forties and anybody can Google this sweat lodge, the gathering of native people was, was against the law. And um, so sweat lodge was illegal drumming and all of uh, was illegal. Any kind of like ceremony, Sundance, no matter where on this land, the nations would try to gather. So um, old guys and old women, generations back, hid in the bush and kept those traditions alive. And that's the truth. And that's the only reason we got them because, you know, it was, it was contraband, basically. Indi Indian culture was contraband. Um, I'd say around the time that Canada was forming as a country, uh, and I'm talking about Canadian laws, although I know it was the same in the America. My knowledge for Canada is greater than my knowledge for America. Um, so, for example, Sir John A. Macdonald was the perpetrator of those laws, was, the, was made them formally into laws with the Indian Act and how, how the non-Native community approached the Native community. So the colonizing community approached the, the, the native community. So, so that beautiful tradition of sweat lodge, which I keep alive in both my books, um, is only possible because someone sneaked out in the bush and went against the law and risked being put in jail, killed, take their land taken away, whatever, um, to keep that alive because they had vision. Amazing. Well, like I'm, I'm telling you like that, just my experience and, um, and it, I kept running into this elder. That's the funny thing. It's almost like this was going on in my life and I kept running into her and I'm, I kept thinking, why am I, I'm running into her everywhere, you know? And yes. then, and then I said something, you know, I said, I, I had to tell her this, what was going on. I don't know why I had to, I, something bigger than me said, tell her what's going on. And I did. And then she said, okay, 
I've packed, she said, her words were, I've packed my medicine. Please don't say any names. <laughs> and I said, what? She goes, I don't have, if you say the names of someone or some. The sound went off. Are you not hearing me? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay. So she, you know, she had said is that once they, if there's something that's not good and you call someone's name, you release it into the universe. Don't say it. And she, there was nothing she could do at that time. Yes. So I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and then after that, uh, we got, we, I spoke and then, you know, she helped me through. So to me, uh, you know, whatever was done was, it, it was amazing. It was bigger than me. It was, um, it was you know, it made a big difference in my life. And, you know, hence I wanted to learn and, you know, don't know a lot more, but have tried to, to attend a couple of things uh, since actually after that. So nice, beautiful. It's true. Um, and, and, you know, that prompts me to, and I think I, I, uh, I use storytelling to teach these little, all these, these, uh, I thread them into a story, but to pass on these, bits of knowledge but your story reminds me i'm not sure if the person that you're referring to is deceased or not so i'm familiar with the teaching that if they're deceased you don't mention their name because just leave them on their path um uh that's a teaching in all the different nations but as far as healing goes beyond form and life on earth um the medicine the, and what I say is only things that I've been taught. It doesn't make it true or not true. So what I've heard consistently and learned from elders is that there's, we, aren't, we aren't alone here. On Our ancestors, which are, aren't in body anymore, are on us. On our walk around the medicine wheel through life, the medicine wheel is life, like our, our different stages in life. There's also two cross, like a cross shape between... Um, uh, be, uh, across the wheel those are our spiritual ancestors wanting us to move the healing forward because we have hands and we have eyes and we have feet and we can do things on earth here and they are constantly trying to communicate with us and though a lot of people believe that if you learn your language they'll understand you better hmm. so what you said prompted me to um Wow, that's 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 fascinating. That's fascinating, right? Because it's about getting connected at a higher level mm -hmm. so, and, and clearing your mind. Yeah, to listen in whatever language, like you said, to to get the messages, which we you know we talk so much about um, with Eastern philosophy. But of course, the, it sounds like the, with the native traditions, it's the same kind of thing. Knowing mm -hmm. that you're consistently surrounded by you know the answers are there, which. Yes. You know, but it, it's it's like you know you're listening in the you're on the wrong channel <laughs> to put it bluntly, <laughs> and you need you need to shift it. So, tell us a little bit about um, the book and um, where Mary went, where where they people can buy the book, what your website is. If people are um, wanting to learn more, um, I don't know what services you offer, um, Lynn. Tell them where they can. Uh, where they can get a hold of you. Okay, so um, where Mary went is basically I take the residential school era, 
it takes place between the very, very late 1800s and um, World War II era. So I use the, Mary was a real character, but Mary is also very much like most of, of our other grandmothers and grandfathers who had to go through residential school. Um, this is focuses on not just her experience before. So I have to focus on, I have to include a part of what it was like before residential school to really understand what was lost. And then the experience through residential school, the will to survive it. And then after how being stripped, being whitewashed, basically whitewashed, um, Mary goes through society. But Mary has relationships with other people in the world, native and non-native. And so through those relationships, I also teach what was lost and what was kept. But it's just a story. It just reads like a story. And it, um, but it's true. Um, so then the book was originally uh, much bigger than it is now. But I had a small publisher, a wonderful publisher, but they, I had to take it apart. So I, I kept Mary's story intact and I took her husband's story out of it and it became its own companion book. It is not published yet, but it's done. Um, it's not released yet. Mary, where Mary went is um, written so that it's accessible. When native people, this is one of the main reasons I wrote it was when native people open it up, you're reading you're reading about your culture, you're, you're at home. You're at home when you're reading this book. And when non-Native people read it, they're, wow, did that really happen? And I think I have successfully done that from the feedback I've got. So um, where it's available, my, my website is lynnmarieshery.com. And... Um, Right now, the book is, I'm selling the book myself because I just finished buying my rights off my, uh, it was sold through, it was published by Tatus Books, um, but I just finished as a business deal buying my rights back off them. So the book is available through me uh, on my website at this time. I have some book distributors, goodminds.com. There's a good book distributor that can access the book. They're key. I'm, I, I think I'm going to uh, choose them as my um, main distributor. Okay, so and it's Linus, it's L Y N N E M A R I E, yep, dot sherry dot com, right? Yeah, just Lynn Marie Sherry, all one word with Lynn with an E dot com. Okay, perfect. So, this has been, um, well, powerful. Like, what, what, um, I'm so I feel privileged to have met you, and I know a colleague of yours connected you with me, and I, I know you're here in the region, so we will definitely have to get together and, and sure, I would love to hear more about your wisdom. Um, and you know, my whole thing about getting connected, it sounds like the native traditions is all about connection, and we have all we have everything around us, which really. Truly, if you think about it, it's about us slowing, absorbing, and connecting, and being grateful and gracious for everything around us. Yes. You know, yes. Um, I am at an event on Thanksgiving weekend, October, is it six and seven or five and six? I'm not uh, sure. I'm not yeah, sure. October. Yeah. Um, the Niagara Regional Native Center is having a powwow which if you want to immerse yourself in native culture, is a lovely powwow uh, in um, 
uh, what's that park called in uh, that main park in St. Catharines? Oh, why would that fly um, out of my mind? Montebello Park. Ma- thank you, Montebello Park. Thank you for being part of my brain. And um, so it's a big powwow on Thanksgiving weekend. I'm there all weekend if somebody would like to come and meet me and buy the book. Awesome. Well, I, I will try to come up there so I can meet you then and, and uh, get exposed to a powwow because I don't, I've never been uh, exposed to something like that. So thanks again. Um, Lynn, I hope that uh, our paths, not hope, I know our paths will cross again. And I'm sure my listeners have enjoyed just the wisdom that you've brought to us today um, about connection and uh, nature and our medicine. Like, what is our medicine? That's so, so very important. And you talked about your medicine uh, being your writing. And and, and Mm -hmm. I think about now you're making me think about what is my medicine. And my medicine, I think, is probably more orating some writing, but definitely orating. So I feel grateful that you've, you know, had me think about that or for others listening that they can think about what is your medicine? What is your purpose and meaning in the world? What is your imprint that you're going to leave behind? Because we all have something that we want to be remembered for. So today I I, I suggest that, you, you know, stop, reflect, get out in nature, go for a walk and think about it and think about how is it that you want to be remembered in the world. So um, we'll chat again with you next week. If you're wanting any further information on me, uh, you can go to roxanderhodge.com forward slash blueprint uh, where you'll get uh, my free course. So take care. Thanks a lot again, Lynn, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Mm-hmm.